In today's episode, we're speaking to Elizabeth Dawson. Elizabeth is the number one female financial expert 2020 to 2021 from Financial Advisors. She's also the Financial Advisor of the Year. She's a money coach, a financial coach, a podcast host, author, and entrepreneur. She is the founder of Copia Wealth Management and Insurance Services. And today she's talking to us about why financial literacy is the number one important topic that everyone should be familiar with for their financial health. Let's find out why. Money Mindset with Girl Khan podcast will help you to break free from your limiting beliefs, reverse your money shame and blast through your money blocks so that you can live a life of unlimited abundance. In this podcast, we will talk about energy tools and mindset strategies that will help you to understand and change your relationship with money, whether you're in a job, profession or working on your passion. Change your relationship with money to change your life. I'm your host, Gul Khan. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. This is Gul Khan, your money mindset expert. And once again, we have the beautiful, we have the amazing, we have the super, 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 super smart, Elizabeth Dawson. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, how are you? It's great to be back. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you again, Elizabeth. We had such an interesting conversation on Friday for each other. We had to have you back for Money Talkies. And today, um, just before we start, can you tell everyone briefly what it is that you do? Well, I'm a financial advisor. I'm here in the United States. I, uh, I work with individuals as a money coach and help them with the relationship to create more abundance in their wealth as they are working so hard to earn it. We want them to keep it as well. Fantastic. And this is why I think you are the perfect person to have this conversation with. We are talking about today the importance of financial literacy for every single person. And by the way, we are talking about people, it doesn't matter if you are 15, or whether you are 50, or whether you're 65, or whether you're 95, it doesn't really matter. Every single person should, doesn't matter where they're, which point in life they're on, they need to start educating themselves um, about finances. So what's the first thing when you say financial literacy, uh, I, I want people to understand what you mean by it. What do you understand? You know, what, what was the lay person say? Okay, financial literacy, what does that mean? Do I need to know how much money is my bank account? What do you mean by that? Well, it, it's a process, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's so many different ways to go through this. This is actually why I kind of created something fairly simple called my book, you know, Wealth by Design. Mm-hmm. The main thing here is it's a step-by-step process. And I also created a financial planning course with it too mm-hmm. on wealthbydesignbook.com where you can get that and you can do your own planning. But uh, financial literacy in itself is not taught in school. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to go for a finance degree, it's very different than the actual application to your personal life. You know, that's looking at more of a corporate America, you know, balance sheet. It's not looking at the individual, you know, person to person balance sheet about where their cost fees and expenses go. Mm. So I like to bring up something called the lost opportunity cost. Mm. Any dollar that goes into something that you give away willingly and necessarily for the rest of your life, you lose that dollar. No, and also you lose the interest on that dollar. So sometimes we need to focus on the rate of return of what we can actually recover from our own expenses, not just the rate of return that we can actually earn from the stock market. Mm. And let me elaborate on that more because when we go through and we do, let's say we kind of look at a cash flow analysis or a budget analysis, and most people don't even want to bring up the conversation about a budget. Mm. Yes, nobody, nobody wants restriction. They just want to go spend, spend, spend. They want to live their life and they want to do things based on their own accord. Everyone should. Mm-hmm. However, there should be a dollar that we do that with. There should mm-hmm. be a dollar that we do that with and not the dollar that needs to be that foundation. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about liquidity use and control and that liquidity use and control will allow you to adapt 
to be able to make better decisions with, you know, if you have this little money, you know, this bucket of money over here and that money can actually go for more speculation, great. If I've got this bucket of money over here and it's gonna actually be there for my foundation, that's more important just to be able to start that piece out. So mm. when I talk about cash flow analysis and we kind of see everything, we spend so much money on things. Now I know that this is a universal name, but Amazon, mm. it's one of the expenses that we see a lot. Someone might be spending anywhere from 300 a month to $1,500 a month, or even 2000 or $3,000 a month. But when, you know, five years ago, if we had the same conversation, you know, barely anyone was spending money on that. Mm. So what is going on? We are actually adapting to a higher immediate cash flow. Not that I have anything against Amazon. I use Amazon myself, mm. but it's, it kind of comes back even to some financial education about even the use of credit cards. I say, and I think I said at the, at the end of our first interview where, mm. you know, if I was talking to my 24 year old self, me, um, I'd say, don't ever get into credit card debt, which, you know, that's a choice. Um, most people will actually go into credit card debt and they'll say, okay, I'll just pay it off. I'll just pay it off. I'll just pay it off. We always have the good intentions. But when I was in my mid twenties, mid to late twenties, I literally remember myself at one point saying, oh, I want to get the bonus points or the mileage on my credit card so I can actually do a trip that I couldn't afford to do. And I'll just put my mortgage payment on it. Oh my gosh, that was one of the worst things I could have ever done mm -hmm. because then that catapulted into the next month that it didn't get paid off. Something else came up. So we have lost this foundation of having liquidity use and control to be able to actually accept opportunity. Mm. If we keep charging more and more on a credit card and, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger each and every year because the cost of life gets bigger and bigger, or we have things that we want to enjoy that are bigger and bigger. Well, at what point is that what's sacrificed? It's the ability to save money. Mm. So many years ago, that was the, the number one foundations to save money, have liquidity. You know, we, we, we don't have that. And I think, you know, offline goal, we were talking about, you know, your investment structure, what you have felt has been strong for you has been real estate. Mm -hmm. I think that goes across the board. Many people feel that their real estate positions have been, you know, phenomenal, especially in this last two years. And, you know, the, you know, certain things will actually occur. And, you know, I was a product of 2008 and I had gone through a divorce at that time. And it was very difficult because I did own a lot of pieces of real estate, but yet the market just went from here down to here. And then home prices has fi have finally recovered again. Uh, but since 2008, so it's a very long period of time, almost 14 years. Yeah. But do we have that amount of time? Do we have the liquidity to be able to afford making those payments, especially during the pandemic? where people weren't even paying their rent, even if you had rental properties. Mm. Uh, and, and they had the permission slip for moratoriums through, through the government saying they didn't have to pay it. So how does that make you feel as an investor if you didn't have enough money to be able to afford to pay that? Mm. You could lose that property as fast as you gained it. So it's about creating redundancy and financial education, financial literacy. Every single time I talk with someone and someone engages with our services, we go back to this place and we say, um, well, how do you feel about what you've learned so far? And they say, right. well, why has this ever been taught in school? I said, it's intentionally not taught in school because our societies want us to be very codependent on government and yeah. government resources. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, when you are the number one person that's responsible for your financial outcome, whether it's today and you're working and you're thriving and you're building your business or you're, you know, a high um, wage earner for a corporation, 
I mean, it's no different because we all have similar goals. You know, when we're younger, we're looking at how do we take care of our children? You know, we have our, our, our partner in life. We have a home that we want to buy we are, or we're living in. And we're trying to save some for something called retirement that we have no idea what it looks like. And we're thinking it's so far away. I don't even have to think about it, but I want to live a little bit today. So I want people to make as much money as they possibly can. But at the end of the day, I want you to keep as much money of that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of those resources as you can, because if you don't have what there is to show for it, then where, where was all the ingenuity and creativity and, and, you know, uh, wealth that you've created, where has it gone? You know, so, so how can you hold on to the wealth that you've been, been able to cre- create, not just have it exact, you know, evaporated to the government and taxes, not just evaporate in lifestyle expenses, not just evaporate in, in places that don't necessarily protect you in the event that we might have a market correction, could mm-hmm. housing go down just like it did in 2008. Could it be worse? Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was recently uh, privileged to some information where, you know, and I've Googled it and it's out there too, but there are more, more 90 to 100, 120 day lates today on mortgages than there were prior to 2008. That's oh, wow. frightening. That's news that's being held from public audience to actually mm-hmm. understand, you know, if, if the stock market or, you know, the global market start to decline and they all kind of follow one another, right? Yeah, they do. Um, they, and, and so as that starts to, to go down, And, you know, then there's a new piece of of on the environment too. cryptocurrencies, all those things start to go down. What is the redundancy? Mm. And I think I said this on our our first call too, is, Mm. you know, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. We don't have to be greedy. We can create wealth without worrying about being greedy. We can actually, you know, take it, take it the way it is, look at it, give it a good common sense approach and, and create that, uh, that pyramid of financial planning and just really create that foundation so that if all the speculative parts kind of go crazy, we're going to be just fine. It's not going to have an impact on our overall ability to live the life that we want and to be able to grow the wealth that we want to create for our future. Agreed. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned this. And I don't know when people are listening to this uh, podcast, um, depending on it will be released in, in, a, in a few weeks from the point of time we're recording it. But as we speak, um, I, mean, I think the, in the US, the Feds are meant to be speaking on the on the Wednesday. We're talking on the Monday, and the stock market took a crash, and then the crypto market followed, and most of the white gains have been wiped off. Um, you know, Bitcoin's currently standing at its lowest at, at thirty. Last I checked, was thirty four thousand something, and everything else obviously follows Bitcoin as well. Everything, there's huge losses everywhere. <clears throat> I'm also invested in, in crypto, but I, I don't do leverage products. And I always just do, and I'm not bothered. I, I know the, the projects I've invested in, they're long-term projects. So it, I, the losses on paper, the gains are on paper until I actually cash them out. So I'm okay. Um, I'm quite relaxed about it. I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. We'll see. I think it's, I see it as a buying opportunity. If I was more, I probably would end up buying a bit more. But that's because I have the knowledge and I have the know-how. I know what I'm doing. Um, be it stocks. And um, if anything, I'm going to go se- check the Tesla price and be it's more Tesla shares. Because I love Tesla, by the way, but it's because I'm comfortable in the knowledge that I want to, I know what I'm doing. I'm not um, fretting and thing, you know, worrying about it. It's the long term. It's long term projects for me. But then that's where I have gained the financial literacy through hard work, by the way, and through sheer, you know, tears and <laughs> tears because I have lost a lot of stuff. But now I know what I'm doing. I'm a bit more centered and secure. But we have to gain these um, these insights. Hopefully not through the way I've done it, which is through, you know, getting my slap, you know, wrist slapped every now and again um, through mistakes, huge mistakes I've made at times. But, 
you know, we have to we have to gain knowledge on, you know, on what to do. And what I think the first thing is we need to work out our risk controllers. When you say so, when you the first things we need to do when you, we are working on our financial literacy is work out what is our um, risk controllers? What can we what kind of money do we have in the bank? What kind of money can we lose? What, and what kind of money are we prepared to lose? Sometimes our, you know, financial and the paper, our risk controllers should be a lot higher than it is because we emotionally cannot deal with loss. Sometimes, as the case is with me, on paper, I'm not allowed to lose any money, but emotionally, hey, it's okay, I'll make it again. And I had that kind of attitude in the past and I've lost mm-hmm. a lot, and I've lost it. I, I, I remember in the, the beginning when I used to make investments, I would never think that I'm going to make a profit. It was just... For some bizarre reason, there was like no, uh, there was no possibility I was ever going to make a loss because I'm such a genius at investments. I'm not. <laughs> I found out the hard way. I'm not. And so I just, I was too optimistic. I was too, um, you know, too, I was too risky. So mm-hmm. how, you know, where and how can we assess our risk of assessments? You know, how do we work out where, you know, risk tolerance rather, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that come into financial literacy and how is that important for us? Well, I think that's a good topic to bring up because diversification with what most people think of is just the different risk classes that they own in their portfolio. Yeah. But in reality, diversification is so much more than just that. Hmm. It's looking at how do you hedge your bank account? How do you hedge your real estate? How do you hedge your investments? And then, you know, where are the opportunities? Because there's always opportunities in down markets hmm. and we, we need to see what those opportunities are. But if you have liquidity or cash and we go into a down real estate market, could you buy something else? The answer is yes. Mm. Do we have all those rents that we're getting from our real estate? Do we have that in a separate account that really identifies that so that if there's anything that happens with that property, we can take care of it. We don't have to get more debt on a credit card for it or a line of credit against the equity. We can actually just take care of it ourselves. Mm. And so does that give us more opportunity to say, okay, we are just pulling these you know, incomes in and we're showing it as its own entity, its own you know, resource, its own rate of return. But then if we go into the stock market, and this is what's been lost in the stock market, is that years ago, it used to be you put your initial investment in, and then when you have gains, you take those gains out and you put them in another pocket. Mm. What happens now is they're reinvesting of everything, and it actually starts to you know, increase. You have more units or more short shares and things like of that nature. But as that kind of continues to go on in the future, when do you rebalance? So when I look at the stock market, we look at something called a, a risk graph. I want to know what the history of that stock or that purchase or that mutual fund or that strategy. I want to see what the history of losses were because can losses repeat themselves? I hope you are enjoying today's episode. If you want to learn more about my mindset strategies and energy tools to help you change your money mindset, then please register for my Abundance Mindset Makeover Workshop by visiting www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. See you inside the workshop. And if you don't understand what the losses look like in your investments, then you really don't understand risk because of the fact that if the risk can happen again, you know, and and we can go down another 50%, is that within your, within your gut? You had said said something just a moment ago saying that people cannot handle the emotional loss of losing anything. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. You could be the most aggressive investor or the most moderate, you know, modest and mediocre investor. No one can, can, can ever stand the, the association of loss. They just don't like it. And you could be worth billions. And if you lost a billion overnight, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, some people can afford to lose. Some people can't, Mm. but 
you know, and the people that really can't afford to lose are the ones that are getting closer to their fifties. And they're thinking about retirement finally, because it was part of their vocabulary early on, but they really weren't thinking about it, but yeah. they're going into the, so, so just like we said, even with the housing market, right. Mm-hmm. Since 2008, it took about 14 years for it to really like, you know, push the lid off of where it was, you know, in 2000, you know, high yes. of 2000, right. It's so taken that long. Yeah. So how many people have 14 years for something to recover? Mm. And that's, I think that's an important question to, to, to know, you know, it, I think the risk, um, your risk tolerance does change with your age and what you're, you know, like, you know, what you want out of life and what you're expecting to do. I think that's an important question to ask yourself. And these are hard questions because I want to say, well, actually, you know, I'm 50. I can't risk that kind of thing. Well, I'm 60. I'm not able to risk that kind of thing. Or, you know, I'm not 35 anymore. So I don't have those 15 years to be able to recover like mm-hmm. we did from 2008. I did that. My, I mean, I was one of the fortunate ones. I, I actually bought just in the peak of the last, um, um, you know, last, uh, you know, the, the property boom. So I bought in 2006, end of 2006, throughout 2007, um, and until mid 2007, and the crash began in the end of 2007 and 2008. Everything was wiped out, and I suffered greatly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, and I was going through a divorce at the same time. So it was just awful and same for me. Kind of aligned. Yes, we're kind of aligned. It was awful. Um, but I, I somehow um, through, I don't know if it's sheer luck or luck or, or whatever, half year, I managed to sail through uh, with a really bad credit score <laughs> um, to my name. But I managed to to, to, to come out the other end. But it's it's the, the, the property that bought in 2006 is still just about recovering now, which is shocking, you know, for uh, for a property like that to, to be just recovering. Like I am now out of negative equity just recently in the last couple of years, um, and which is astonishing, you know, because it's taken wow. that long. That is astonishing. 16 years. Wow. Yeah. So this is, the, I mean, because I, I did, I, I have to say, I did make money on it from 2006 to 2007, but from 2007, it just, you know, yeah. so this is where yeah. we, we struggled substantially on it. Well, and those experiences will actually navigate to even better financial decisions for you to make in the future. I mean, they, they just, mm-hmm. you can't avoid that. And it's actually one of the, we've earned where we've, you know, where we've been through to get to this place. And uh, we, we need to thank those, those experiences because it made us who we are today. Agreed. But at the same time, it's still never fun. And, you know, when we say the statement losses hurt you more than gains help you, it's a hundred percent true. So it's mm-hmm. looking at you know, your risk future is your risk past. It's not just about the rate of return past is your rate of return future. It's the it's the risk that you actually have for the past that's going to dictate what your risk future looks like. And that's how you need to start to diversify any financial decision that you're making so that it actually comes together and you're going, okay, if this goes down and this goes up, I'm going to be okay because I'm going to balance out. And do it, am I going to recover quickly from it? You know, is 14 to 16 years a long time to recover? Mm a long time to recover. And when we get closer and closer to those later years of life, we don't want to take on as much risk. Some people, I mean, I've I've met people in their seventies that take great risk. And I just, I say, you don't have to anymore. Why? You know, you've, you've gotten to this place where everybody else is trying to get, why are you, why are you taking on more risk that you don't have to? And then that changes the entire dynamic of how the future, you know, kind of unfolds. So many people want to slow down, but then they go, okay, gosh, I still have more creativity that I want to, you know, give this world. And as we should, we just don't have to take uncalculated risk. If we actually knew what the losses look like of the future, it's really a different kind of crystal ball ball, because all we have to do is look in the past and then we can actually make better decisions financially for every decision that you're making from shoelaces to buying cars, to 
you know, buying real estate to buying investments and uh, protecting your family ultimately is one of the best, you know, best investments that you can make as well. Um, so there's, there's so much more and I would love, I know that we only have so much time. So do you have any more questions for me? Cause this has been a joy to be a part of your show. I've got just a couple more questions and that's more about um, I think something we were talking uh, just off camera beforehand which is about you know planning for information and um, pension and actually having those awkward conversations with yourself with your spouse um, with your partners and especially your financial advisors and most people that I know at the moment I including myself um, yeah I know I need to deal with it I'll deal with it later it that later never comes and I it's, it only came to my attention again when you, you were mentioning I'm like yeah I've mentioned about I've talked about uh, pension planning and I haven't set up a pension for myself which is mm-hmm. really really stupid um, because mm-hmm. of the properties and everything else I have yet it's something that oh I'll just it's pushed to the side because other conversations other other tasks take priority but how important is pension planning and when do we stop? Well, I want to talk to you from a standpoint in, in, in the United States, and there's been some tax law that's actually changed. So for the business owner that's looking to mitigate taxes, mm-hmm. this is a big conversation for this. But also, if I have an individual that's not a business owner, we can create a pension-like income as well. Mm-hmm. And having guaranteed income to be able to accomplish your goals, to be able to accomplish your dreams, to be able to make sure that that cash flow is coming in. Why do people like real estate again? Because they get that monthly cash flow. But if someone stops paying their rent, the cash flow stops. So mm-hmm. If we actually look at guaranteed resources that can create cash flow on a monthly basis every year for the rest of your life, that is that is a major peace of mind. It's a major peace of mind because then you can actually have the you know, cash flow to come in. Now, from a business owner standpoint, like when we are actually referred someone from a tax professional here, um, someone's coming to us and they said, okay, gosh, we made a lot of money last year. We think we're going to consistently make money every year thereafter. And okay, the whole goal was to make as much money as you possibly can, but to keep as much money as you possibly can too. Hmm. This is the way that we can actually say, once the analysis is done and taxes look like they're going to be like X, if it's more than $100,000 going to the government and or, and or state, we look at that and say, well, what if we can actually create what we call a defined benefit pension plan in the United States, where we can actually create bigger contributions going into a pension plan that actually stays on the business's balance sheets. So it's, instead of giving it to the government, the government allows us this, this ability as a business owner to put larger amounts of money that they would have normally sent to the government, but to put it into a pension for themselves. And that stays on the corporate balance sheet and it stays there. And it's also an incentive for employees to want to stay on as well. Many, many years ago, starting back in the 40s, when you know Social Security was designed in the United States, you know the pensions were designed, designed in the United States as well. You know, Europe was a little bit closer to the game than the United States. So uh, what we saw there was that people became very confident in working for that same company for 30 or 40 years. Yes, of course. Time income for the rest of their life. Well, what has happened since the 1980s when we have a 401k here, you have a different retirement system, Mm -hmm. but that 401k was designed so that corporations wouldn't have to put so much money away to have a lifetime income for their person that's retired anymore. Mm So 100% of the responsibility went on to the consumer. Mm -hmm. So if you weren't putting money in the 401k, you weren't going to get any kind of pension like income. And really 401ks don't necessarily do that on their own. Mm -hmm. So how do we actually kind of reverse this knowledge and say, okay, I'm a small business owner. I have a pension for my business, for my practice, for my employees. They all get to participate in it from my contributions. And I'm able to have longevity with them even more so, more, more loyalty because they know I'm actually doing something for their future. And it's all part of the process of how we actually get to 
you know, if, if I, if the government's going to allow me to do something, I should probably think about doing it. Mm-hmm. And as a business owner, is it smart? Is it prudent to do that? I would much rather write a bigger check to my pension than a bigger check to the government. Agreed. Not that the government doesn't need the money, but the fact of the money matter is, is my people and myself need the money more. Agreed. And, and my company balance sheet, you know, reflects that. So business owners don't realize that there's more than just offering a 401k for their employees. There's a bigger way that they can actually put more money aside and create more abundance, not only for their employees, but also for them for a lifetime ahead. Mm-hmm. And why not use the government's money to do that? You know, why not? It, it's, it's there for our ability to do it. And it's a responsibility that we have, I think, to the people that we're so fortunate that we have work for us, that we can actually give them something great to, to consider for the future, as well as ourselves as well as ourselves. Because if we didn't have the money, we just keep writing the checks to the government. What's the point of creating a profit? What's what's the point of being a business owner? What's the point about being capitalistic? You know, we, we want to be able to, to keep as much money as we've possibly earned as well. Agreed. I think so this, so basically my understanding is, one, get go and speak to a financial advisor about what's your what's the best route for you to save and work on your pension, depending on your location. And we have, um, obviously, we have different rules for being in UK, but I think we have something similar here as well. From what mm-hmm. I remember from my accountant last telling me that we can, you know, instead of paying myself a salary, you know, tax-free, they can, they can take certain amount and pay towards mm-hmm. my pension. So it's something similar here as well. I remember that, the accountant mentioning mm-hmm. it to me and encouraging me, highly encouraging me to set up a pension fund already, which I haven't. Um, so I need to do that. Uh, but Absolutely. And so I think these are conversations that you need to be having with the financial advisor, which also means that as soon as you start working, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what you, how old you are now, by the way. So you could be 35, you could be 50, you could be 65, you could be 70. It doesn't matter where you are. You do need to go and seek professional advice. You need to speak to a financial advisor. Explain to them where you are and then find a way to get to where you want to be in 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever year's time. And uh, and pension, especially if you, when you're younger, the younger you are, the, the earlier this conversation you have, the better it is for you because you can plan better. You can t- be more tax efficient from what I understand, but both the US and the UK. And you can actually um, have more peace of mind that you will have something to look for back on when you are older um, and, and you're not able to do the crazy 80, 100, 90, 100 hours that you're doing at the moment in your, in your uh, the professional job. I remember doing crazy hours when I was working as a lawyer and I'm not doing such crazy hours at the moment, but it's, at times it feels like it because you know when we're launching a product, I am doing crazy hours like there again. So which I cannot, I cannot, I can't imagine doing that in you know when I'm 60. So you mm-hmm. have to be realistic and be more pragmatic about what you need to do and what you can expect yourself to do and achieve. And but you still have to maintain a certain type of lifestyle, certain standard of lifestyle. And then you have to plan for that now. And this is where and speaking to a financial advisor, I think it becomes paramount. Okay, so on that note, I think we're going to wrap up. Tell us, Elizabeth, how can we connect you? Where can we find you on the internet? So my name is Elizabeth and it's spelled with an S. So very much like the European way of spelling it. So it's Elizabeth at Dawson.com. You can check me out there. You can also go to, again, about the book. If you want to get a free copy of the book, there is actually a website called wealthbydesignbook.com. It actually has a financial planning companion course. So you can actually see, you know, what your numbers look like currently right now and into the future. But the, the main purpose of why I'm doing this is because I want people to be able to have that education, that literacy that's not taught in school, that's not taught through life or society. And so you can feel more empowered that you're out outcome in your financial world is going to be far greater than maybe your neighbor or someone else that didn't get that knowledge. So um, I think what we'll give you is we have these great little bookmarks here and there's a little QR code. I don't know if you can see that too well, 
But if you can, if not, we'll make sure that Gull has the copy of that so she can put it in the listing with all these things too. We'd love to get your feedback. We'd love to educate the world. And again, it's my mission, my passion, my purpose is to educate as many people as possible while I have breath in my lungs to, uh, to make sure that everybody has a better relationship with money and that with all the abundance that Gull is going to create with you, that we can actually put that money to work so you can actually have it for a lifetime versus just something that you came and got and then it disappeared. So make as much money as you can, keep it and we'll help you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. So all the links, if you're watching, if you're listening to us on the podcast, the links that Elizabeth just mentioned will be in the show notes. And if you're watching us on YouTube, then down below in the description section, we'll have all the links that Elizabeth just mentioned. Go check it out. Do go check out the book. I think it's amazing. It sounds amazing. And I really do think that you need to be uh, seriously thinking about financial literacy for yourself, about how you can plan your financial future today, tomorrow, and for the coming tomorrow as well. If you don't have family yet, it doesn't matter. You will have family in the in in the in the coming nearer future or something. I need to plan for it. And this is these are quite important topics to think about. They're hard, they're difficult. I know, I know this for personally that you don't want to think about them, but they are important topic. And I think for that reason, today's episode has been very very important for myself, and I'm sure for most of you listening out there. But. On that note, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for sharing your knowledge with us, for sharing expertise and and bringing some very important topics to our attention. Well, thank you so much. And again, I'll just make a final comment. Procrastination is not an option because that's not what will create success for you. So don't procrastinate anymore, (laughs) Gull. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to me and Elizabeth today on our Money Talking segment. I will be back with another amazing guest asking them for nuggets of information and asking them for advice how you and I can build a better business so that we can attract more abundance into our life until the next time we meet this is go Khan signing off take care and bye for now if you want to learn more about my energy tools and mindset strategies then please visit my website www.gulkhan.com and if you want to take part in our five-day abundance mindset makeover workshop where I deep dive into energy tools for abundance then please go to www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com and register. I look forward to being your mentor in the next workshop and if you want to learn about the spiritual laws of money then go and get my book Laws of Money from www.lawsofmoney.com. Until the next time we meet, this is Gul Khan signing off. Take care and bye for now.